So today we're going to be reading from Philippians chapter 2, continuing in our um, sermon series on Philippians. If you have a Bible, turn there. If you don't have a Bible and you want one, we have free Bibles right here. It's our gift to you. Um, And also, if you just want to read along, it'll be on the screen. And may I introduce Heidi Davis to read our passage today. Go for it, Heidi. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain consent, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ, who, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. This is God's word. Let's give Heidi a hand. Thank you for reading it. Thank you for reading that, Heidi. So to Today, the uh, title of the message um, is The Way Up is Down. The Way Up is Down. And today I'm going to be talking about humility. And for me, oh my goodness, what a day to talk about humility. This morning, first thing, I'm in uh, the restroom at home getting ready. And I had my bathrobe on and I turned around. And the sweep of the bathrobe, and I heard something kind of, it was like a clink and a sploosh at the same time. And I looked over, and it was none but my glasses in the toilet. (laughs) And so I freaked out. I get the soap and the water. I'm like, oh my gosh. So you guys will have to forgive me if, or maybe it's better. I have a humble outlook on life now. But all right, all right. There's other words I could use besides humble there, but... Um, no, today we're going to talk about humility, and, but not humility as a virtue in itself for the sake of itself, as in it's bad to be proud and it's good to be humble, so be good, be humble. Um, but we're actually going to talk about having joy in humility because Jesus, who is the hero of the whole story of the Bible... And as Christians believe, he's the hero of the whole story of the universe. As Jesus is that hero, he actually showed us that the greatest joy is in the greatest humility. But where, what is the status of humility in our hashtag selfie culture? Right? And I say, I'm guilty. My profile pic right now is a selfie. All right? So no judgment. But where is humility? Because it's, it may be a virtue, but I would say it's kind of a distant virtue 
at best. We don't praise people for being humble most of the time. Actually, if you look around our culture, if you look, listen to our top songs and you, and you watch our reality TV shows, we actually praise those who praise themselves a lot of times. We make a big deal out of the people who make a big deal out of themselves. If you don't believe me, just read the headlines, scroll through your news feed, and check if humility is a, a, a huge goal of our culture. I would say that it's not. It's distant. And one of the reasons is we don't think being humble will make us happy. And in fact, when we think about what will make us happy, one of the pervasive, consistent phrases is, do what makes you happy. Do what makes you happy. Happiness is found in knowing what you want, striving for and going after what you want, and getting what you want. And that will make you happy. And if your job doesn't make you happy, then quit that job and find another job that will make you happy, that's in line with what you want. Or if your relationship is not making you happy, then quit that relationship and find another one with someone else who will make you happy. It's something that's pervasive. And in that philosophy, we'll do whatever it takes to pursue our ambitions, to be happy. If it means abandoning those that are closest to us, if it means maybe just kind of slightly pulling people down so we can push ourselves up a little bit, or maybe finding out how other people can play into what we want that will make us happy, we'll be willing to do that. Now, a few comments on this. The, the, the words that the passage that Heidi just read, the passage today has for this kind of attitude is vain conceit and selfish ambition. Vain conceit being overly infatuated with our own selves and our own desires, and selfish ambition, meaning primarily putting our interests over and above others' interests. But even as I'm talking about this, you guys know this, you see this, and we see it in our culture that this attitude towards happiness and joy fails us. It fails us over and over and over again. That's why the U.S., even though we've had the largest economy and one of the highest standards of living for decades, we have the second highest rate of depression of any country in the world. Nearly one in five people admit to experiencing depression, 19.2%. That's why you have quotes like the one that is infamous from Jim Carrey that says, I think that everyone should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see that it's not the answer. That's why people can be the best in their field, on top of their game, have every possession that anyone could want, have every experience, because some people are like, I don't care about possessions, I just want life experiences. They can have both and find it all so meaningless that they would take their own life. We hear about it every year. This view of happiness actually robs us of joy thinking we're going after joy and going after being happy, it actually robs us of joy because when we're trying to convince other people of our identity, it actually makes us a slave to what other people think about us. 
when we're putting our interests before everyone else, it makes us continually disappointed that the world actually doesn't revolve around me. You guys didn't know this? I thought, wait. But here's the other thing. It's not just a problem that's pervasive in our culture. This kind of thinking about joy and this kind of thinking about humility actually affects the church. It affects our churches. It affects Christians. It affects you and I. There's churches that are more concerned with their own numbers growing and their own budgets and their own name being recognized more than they're concerned with the kingdom of God growing and giving towards other people and other Christians and the name of Jesus being recognized in hearts around the world. As believers, sometimes we're more concerned with getting our own way, making sure our preferences are met within our church or within our little group. More concerned with that than we are with having unity with our brothers and sisters. We can be more concerned about being right in an argument than being loving and full of grace in an argument. All the spouses are like, amen. (laughs) We can be just as guilty of having this attitude of pushing ourselves to the front of the line in order to be happy caring about our own interests in our own lives more than we care about the interests of others. And that kind of attitude is the kind of attitude that will fracture and divide a church. It will bring division to the people of God. But God wants something more for us. Amen? Thank God. Thank God that he wants something more for us than that view of what makes us happy. He wants us to be unified. He wants us to have joy. And the way he shows us that in this passage is through humility. You see, the thing that's wrong with the way we view happiness often is that we're trying to use external circumstances to fix an internal problem. And just like Jesus said, it's not what goes into a man that makes him unclean, but what comes out of him. In a similar way, it's not what goes on around us that makes us happy. It's something that happens inside of us that only Christ can do. Only Christ can do that work. And so today I want to address how we can grow in humility, how we can grow in unity, and the joy that comes with it. And If Jesus is right, we're going to see that true humility brings true joy. There's joy in laying down our interests for the interests of others. There's joy in considering others and valuing others above ourselves. Because in Christ, the way up is down. So to draw this out, I've got four quick points. Um, and, uh, and, And we'll... We'll move on through it. Four points are the basis for unity, the goal of unity, the attitude of Christ, and the attitude of Christians. First, the basis for unity. And uh, if you want to keep your Bibles open, we're just going to be hugging that passage all the way through, uh, wrestling with it, and letting God speak to us. So Paul starts out in the first verse, therefore, 
If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. The whole argument of this passage is based on four ifs. But Paul, as Vince talked about, knows this church. He actually planted this church. And he knows that there is joy. He knows that there is encouragement from being united with Christ. He, know that there, he knows that, there is, that they have felt comfort from his love. And actually, commentators say that this rhetorical argument he could render if as since. So it's actually because you have encouragement from being united with Christ, since you have comfort from his love, since you have common sharing in the spirit or fellowship in the spirit, and since you have tender Tenderness and compassion. What he's saying is, as followers of Jesus, we have a shared, common, uniting experience that makes us one family. Makes us one family in God. Why is that important? Let me ask you this. If if you're here today, have you ever been encouraged by your faith that Jesus saves you? Have you ever been comforted by the thought that he loves you so much he would die for you? He did die for you. Have you ever been encouraged by the fact that because we have one spirit, we have fellowship, we are brothers and sisters in one family. The spirit makes us a family. You thankful for that? You have a family all over the world and in this room. And have you ever been comforted? Have Have you ever felt more tenderness and compassion in your heart when you think about Jesus? Anyone? I didn't see any hands on that one. I'm just kidding. Just teasing you guys. Then you know what? If you've answered yes to that, you're a believer and you're part of the family of God. And you have so many reasons to rejoice. Because if you're not a believer and if you're not in Christ, people haven't felt that. They have not felt that common experience of knowing Jesus would go to the grave for me. Jesus died and rose again so that I would have brothers and sisters and not be all alone. Our basis for unity is these four ifs. It's that we are in Christ. Our basis for being unified is not that, well, we pretty much get along already. It's not that we're, the sa- we're from the same background. It's not that we're from the same race. It's not that we have the same education level. It's not that we have the same income. It's not that we have the same future or the same past. It's all because we have the same Lord. Yep. And he makes us one. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? So the whole argument, the whole thought is, if you have received these things, then that's how you're going to have access to this joy. If you're here today and you haven't received those things, if you didn't answer yes to at least one of those questions, you can today. You can be encouraged in Christ today. You can have faith that he saves you and that he loves you. Repent of sin and turn to Jesus. Believe on him as Lord. We love baptizing new people into the family of God here at New City. Do we not? 
Next week, let's do it. We'll be right by the water. All right. That was prophetic. (laughs) It's only because of who we are in Christ. And look at who God has made us in Christ. It's amazing. So if that's the basis for unity, what is the point? Why? Why be unified? What's the goal? What are we striving for toward here, Paul? Um, And as we know, if you read the whole letter, you know in chapter 4, he's actually, um, he addresses two people, um, Euodia and Syntyche, Uh, forgive me if I can't pronounce Greek words, Greek names, but who weren't getting along. They were part of this church, they weren't getting along, and even in this passage, he talks about people who are kind of having this spiritual uh, superiority um, complex and kind of looking down on other people. Um, thinking of themselves better than they thought of other people. So what's the goal? What's the point? Let's, let's, let's look at that. Verse 2 through 4, he says, So if you have these four things, then make my joy complete. Before I go any further, it's about joy. It's about joy. In this letter that's only four chapters long, did you know that joy and rejoicing is mentioned 16 times? It's about Joy. The first chapter was about how you can have joy in suffering. This chapter starts out with, this is how you can have joy through humility. Everything that this is leading up to is not about you thinking less of yourself and being more humble and, well, I just got to be humble because God wants me to be good. No. (laughs) He wants you to have joy. And he knows that when we're proud and when we're conceited and when we have selfish ambition, we're not going to have joy, and we're not going to be unified, so right? So it's about joy. Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having, so what, sir? Being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Another translation says being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, looking not to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. How can we have this joy? So just like Paul gave them four items for the basis of unity, he answers with four items for the goal of unity. He says, like-minded. Does that mean all Christians need to think the same? No, thank God. That would be tough, right? No, what he's saying is we need to have the mind of Christ, which he explains in verse 5 through 11. Actually, the same word that is translated attitude in verse 5 is translated like-minded here. So he's saying we need to have the mind of Christ. Next one, we need to have the same love. Christ's love is also explained in verses 5 through 11. We need to have the same love of Christ. One spirit. One of Jesus' last prayers before he was crucified for the church, he prayed for the believers, Father, that all of them may be one, just as you are in me and I am in you. Paul echoes that prayer here, that believers would be one. And then last, one in purpose or one in mind. Just like Jesus' purpose, that he was humble, as we're going to see, so that we could be saved, so that the good news could be shared, so that lives could be transformed. Let that be the church's one purpose, 
that the gospel would be spread, that the unity and the shared common experience we have as believers, that our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers would come to know Jesus in the same way. Because we're in Christ, because he's changed us. Does that make sense? Yeah. We're all tracking? Cool. So he gives four ifs and then four thens, and then he says this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you looking to the interests of others. The message translation says it this way. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet talk your way to the top, but put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. I don't know about you guys, but when I read that, my first response a lot of times is, but do I have to be that humble? I can't just think of others as equal. I need to consider them or value them above myself. Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Can we uh, get out the uh, eraser a little bit? All right, let's uh, trade that one out. Do I have to be that humble? Is there anything wrong with ambition? Isn't ambition a good thing? Isn't ambition for the things I want going to contribute to my happiness? But how will this kind of humility make me happy? Consider others above myself. It feels like I'm going to be forgotten in the mix. I mean, if I'm helping other people with their interests, who's going to look after my interests? And I'm not saying that in a super prideful way. I'm just saying that as a legitimate concern. <laughs> if I'm helping other, who's going to, what, how does, who will value me if I don't, who will give me identity? The answer to all of that can be found in the attitude of Christ. Jesus shows us, and Paul lays it out so beautifully in the next few verses, that the way to joy, the way to unity, the way to loving and promoting others and having a culture of building one another up and looking out for each other, the way up is down. Next point, the attitude of Christ. He says this, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Another translation says, instead of mindset, it says attitude. Have the same attitude of Christ Jesus. What was his attitude? And as he goes into the next few verses, most scholars believe that this this stretch of verses was actually a hymn, a, a church hymn that the early believers in the first century sang together. And they don't know if Paul wrote it or if he just kind of vamped on it and used it. But this was something that they would sing that celebrated the servanthood of Jesus. And so at the risk of being redundant and reading it again, I do want to read it again because it's so beautiful and it's one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage or something to be grasped, as it's rendered in another translation. Rather, he made himself 
nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. So he had the nature of God and he took the nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Before I go any further, I want to explain what I mean by the way up is down because there's a trajectory of the story and the plot line of Jesus in these verses. He starts out by saying that Jesus was equal with God. Jesus is equal with God. Jesus is God. Jesus is the second person in the Trinity, the pre-existent son. He didn't come into being when he was born and then live 33 years. But the Bible claims here and in John 1 and over and over that before the world began, Jesus was part of the Trinity. Jesus is God. But he did not consider his equality with God when it came to the task that he had. He did not consider the fact that he was equal with glory, equal with power, with the God of all the universe. He did not consider that something to grasp, to hold his hands onto and not let go of. But he actually gave it up temporarily. He, he, he gave up that glory to become a little baby, to become a man. He wasn't part man and part God. He was all God and fully a man. He opened his hands. He made himself nothing. He came and we did not recognize him as the God of all the universe. We did not recognize him as worthy of glory. And you know what he did on top of just be becoming a man, leaving a heaven and becoming a man? He became a servant. You know, the same word that it says that he had the nature of God said that he put on the nature of a servant. So he didn't just act like a servant. He became a servant for you and I. In Mark 10, he said, the son of man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In John 13, when he washed the disciples' feet, he says, now you see what I've done. I'm your teacher and your Lord, but no, no servant is greater than his master. And if I've done this, you should do this for each other. He's showing us what it means to be truly alive. It wasn't random that Jesus came and he just decided to take on the nature of the servant. He was actually showing us at the heart of life and joy and what it means to be a human in good relationships with others. It means serving. It means being humble. And anything other than that is gonna take away from your joy and take away from our unity. The king of all the universe became a man, limited his glory, and became a servant. He obeyed God in everything he did. Passage says he obeyed God. He, he became obedient even to death, but he's not saying that he obeyed death. It's saying that he obeyed God in his whole life, even to the point of death. Do you realize that out of every human that's ever lived, all of us have died and all of us will die, but Jesus is the only one who didn't have to die. 
Jesus is the only one who always did what the Father willed. He never sinned. Death wasn't a part of our world. In the Christian worldview, death was not what we were designed for until sin came into the picture. And because we've all sinned and we've all rebelled against God, we will all taste death. But Jesus, if there was ever one human that did not have to taste death, it was Jesus Christ. But he became obedient even to death that he didn't deserve. And not just going in his sleep or painlessly. Death on a cross, publicly, naked, humiliated, ashamed, spit on, scorned, mocked, ridiculed. The God of all creation did that. To obey the Father and because he loved you and I and millions and billions and countless others around the world, he did that for us. Do you see the down trajectory? Down from heaven, became a human, became a servant, obeyed to death, was crucified. Criminal's death. Our sin was punished on his back and his body. His blood that dripped was shed in place of ours for the forgiveness of sins. You remember the shared common experience we have of comfort from his love? That's why he did it. To give us that. Down, down, down. Not putting his reputation before the identity we needed. Not putting his interest before our salvation. If you want to know, if I don't look after my own interests, who will? This answers it. If I don't prove how good I am, who will give me an identity and value me? This answers it. If I'm humble, who will look after me? This answers it. Jesus. And when he had died and when the battle with death continued in hell and when he could go no further down, he rose again. Yeah. On the third day, he rose again, never to taste death again. He rose in victory. And, and there, the passage says, therefore God has exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God has highly exalted him forever, given him the name that is above every name. And it's not just that's his identity, that he is, that all the glory belongs to him. And that one day, if not now, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And whether that's from belief in your heart or whether that's at the last day when you can no longer deny it and it's undeniable fact, we will, everyone will acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. Yeah. You see, his suffering, when he went down, 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 it was not to stay there, but it ends in eternal glory. It. it was because of what was awaiting on the other side. The way up for Christ, the way up to joy, the way up to us being unified, whosoever will come to Jesus and being unified with God forever, the way up was down. Yep. Why did he do it? To obey the Father and to serve us. 
What are the greatest commandments? To love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus would never ask us to do anything that he hasn't done immeasurably more than we could ever do for us, for you and I. He did it to save us. He did it to secure us. He did it to give us joy and to give us eternal hope, to give us joy, not rob us of joy. Truly, the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy, but Jesus came so that we might have life and life more and more and more abundantly, starting here and going forever. For Jesus, the way up is down. So where do we go from here? We know that Jesus was humble, but how do we... How? Isn't that impossible to do nothing out of vain conceit? Isn't it impossible to do nothing from selfish ambition? You know, Jesus showed us ambition, all right? He showed us others' ambition. Endlessly, others' ambition. Everything he did was in love and service to God and to serve and save us. But how do we keep going? I'm not that humble. I don't know about you guys. I'm not that humble. I go for the front of the line at Starbucks. You know, when you're like, you're like in the parking lot and you're walking up to the door and then you lock eyes with someone else who's at this 33 degree angle and they're walking to the door and you're like, ah, they're going to make me 90 seconds later to work. (laughs) You know, try to get in line. No one else can relate. All right. (laughs) If I'm in an argument and I know I'm right. A lot of times I'm not arguing to help the other person. I'm not arguing at their interests at heart. They need to know I'm right. (laughs) I need to be seen as right. Even though how many times am I wrong? So I don't know about you guys. How do we keep going? I had a, a little session this week with Matt and Miguel and we read this passage and one of the questions was like, how do, I'm not that humble. How do I even reach a comfort level with how much I fail to be humble? Because like, whoa, right? Which brings me to the last point, the attitude of Christians. And it's in this, and, and it's, it's in verse five, but it's this, this idea that seeing humility makes us humble. Seeing the humility of someone else and seeing, ultimately seeing the humility of Jesus makes us humble. Being humble brings us joy. You can serve others without humility. It's not joyful. But when you serve someone out of humility and really thinking of their best and for their good, I can tell you guys there's a lot, a lot of joy in it. A quick story, and I'm, uh, I'm wrapping up. I mean, it's my last point. You guys know there's only four. Um, uh, in, in 2013, a small team of us went to uh, Kenya, um, and 
uh, yeah, right there. And um, we were uh, doing, uh, the work that we did was mainly in Kibera, which is a, a, a very large, uh, very highly populated uh, slum area. And we were connected with a school there. And you guys, if you've been here, you've heard me talk about it a lot. But um, one of the things, one experience from that that was really moving was near the end of the trip. And we had one of the pastors with the, the church that we were working with, he and his family had us over to their house and, and they did live in the slum area in Kibera, and it was, it was very small, um, you know, probably 10 by 10 feet living space for their whole family. Uh, I forgot they had three or four kids, um, everyone in 10 by 10, one little light bulb hanging in the middle, tin roof shack. That, you know, it was very, very humble home, but they were so glad to have our little team there to serve us lunch. And they cooked uh, dango and chapati, if anyone knows what I'm talking about. Hallelujah. Oh, it's so good. Um, I got sidetracked. Um, they, they cooked dango and chapati, and they gave us Coke, and they gave us Fanta, and, and we just had a great time of fellowship. And, and then later, I don't know if it was right there, or it was later that day, but we found out from our host that, that that pastor and his family had actually been having financial trouble so much to where they couldn't even scrounge up everything for rent for that month. And yet, they wanted to have us over and to cook a meal for us and to serve us. And they had such joy in doing it and I was seeing their humility and seeing their joy in serving not only made me humble, it made me embarrassed. It's like, who am I? Why would you, why, I'm not worthy of that. Why would you serve me to that extent? It doesn't make sense, but I tell you what else it did. It made me more humble and it gave me more joy and it made me wanna turn to everyone else in my life and say, I can serve you more than I think I can. I can be more humble towards you than I think I can. And if that's true with that little story, it's even more true with Christ's attitude and how it affects our attitude. The reason we have this picture, this hymn in scripture is to see the great humility of our God, the greatest humility in the universe on display for us. For all the times we've been conceited, he made himself nothing. For all the times we put our interests first, he laid his interest aside and said, not my will, but yours be done. For all the times we pushed our way to be first in line, to be at the top, he took the lowest place on the cross. For all the times we've been down about our own shortcomings, he rose victorious over death to give us hope. He did all of that to serve us, to save us, to give us joy, eternal, lasting joy. Forever with him, worshiping him in his glory. Seeing the attitude of Christ gives us the attitude of Christ. Amen? The more we see it, the more we look at that, the more it affects us. The way of Jesus up is the way up for us. 
Because we're in Christ, the way up is down. So in the next argument where you might be fighting just to be right, the way up is down. Jesus gave up his rights for others. Even though he was never wrong. The next time someone invades your schedule with a real need and you're tempted to just stick with the plan, the way up is down. Jesus went out of his way to serve us. The next time you need to prove your worth to others through your achievements or through your successes, the way up is down. Jesus gave up his identity to give you a new identity. Next time you catch yourself pulling someone down so you can get a little bit of an edge, the way up is down. He became poor so we might be rich. Amen? Next time you find yourself in selfish ambition or being conceited or even just failing at trying to be humble, remember that Jesus came down to bring you up. He became a servant for you. Because we're in Christ, we have an undeniable unity with the followers of Jesus around the world and in our city and in New City. Because of this unity, let's be humble with one another and have the attitude of Christ who humbled himself to save us so that we could have joy. Truly the way up is down. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Mm. I thank you for opportunities like this moment. God, they don't come often for us, Lord. They don't come often enough when we're all gathered together um, to worship you for who you are and what you've done. God, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that In your word, there's no hesitation, God. You said, let there be light, and there is. You call this holy, and we are. Lord, I pray that if anyone in here is hesitating on giving you control of their lives and letting you be Lord, letting you save them from sin or call us to humility, God, that that hesitation would cease and that they would turn that over to you. Jesus, I pray for every single Christian in the room that we would be moved, perhaps even to tears, Lord, by the story of Christ leaving it all, not grasping at equality with God to to come down and be a servant and to die in exchange for us. Lord, I pray that we would be moved. I pray that we would respond um, as we take communion and as we sing together at the end. Let our hearts be moved to worship. We thank you so much. In Jesus' name.